to the 61st episode of The Week with Roger, a conversation between analysts about all things telecom, media, and technology from Recon Analytics. I'm Don Kellogg, and with me as always is Roger Entner. How you doing, Roger? I'm great. Awesome. So this week, we're pleased to welcome Dan Meyer. Dan is the editor-in-chief of SDX Central, a publication that covers the software-defined everywhere space. How you doing, Dan? Everywhere, right? Everywhere, Roger. Everywhere. I'm doing great. Thanks, Don. And thanks, Roger. Doing great. Even on the week with Roger now. Yes. Everywhere. Everywhere. In the past, we've talked about leadership at the wireless carriers and how that really impacts decisions. And there have been some changes recently both at T-Mobile and at Verizon. Roger, can you tell us who's in and who's out? Well, we just heard today that Ronan Dunn, the former now CEO of of Verizon Consumer Group, has been elevated to become a strategic advisor. And his number two person who just came to Verizon in June, Manon Brouillette, and I hope I pronounced her uh, properly, has been elevated. And then a couple of months ago, without a press release, Matt Staniff rode into the sunset. And, you know, it, it shows you under how much pressure all of the carriers are. Their stock price is not moving. Their investors are not happy. And, you know, that means heads are being chopped. We saw the same thing couple of weeks ago at, at LTs, right? Underperformance or lack of performance against lofty goals has consequences. Well, so I think, you know, for, for Matt Staniff, at least on the T-Mobile side, T-Mobile's still been doing pretty well in terms of net ads and, and, and subscribers and everything else. So I... I no longer number one. For postpaid phone. They are still number one for postpaid nets total. Exactly. But who cares about the total ones? You know, you hand out cheap watches from Timex for zero and you pump up the, your numbers. Come on. You know, what, what really matters is not the $5 a line devices. It's the phones. That makes the money. You know, you have that trouble in, in the industry right now that the traditional roles are no longer really holding true because T-Mobile got predominantly rewarded for growth. Phone subscriber growth. That's what Ledger always went after. Postpaid phone growth. We're number one, blah, 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 blah. Right? And all the other guys are the idiots for having connected devices. And then comes the guys in blue along under their new stalwart leader, John Stanky, and he, and he pushes them off, off that throne. And somebody had to take the fall into, into the sword, right? Mm-hmm. And that was Matt Staniff. You know, Mike Sievert isn't going to take the fall immediately. The same thing here with Verizon. The first guy to go is usually, usually like the number two guy. Only once that sacrifice has been made, you know, the number one guy has to go because, as they say, you know, the floggings will continue until the morale improves, right? I mean, does that mean, I guess, Roger, that is, is uh, Hans's, uh, is, is a clock ticking now on Hans to, uh, to, to make some sort of a big change here? Well, I think the clock is ticking for everybody, right? Yeah. 
you know, when you look at the the, the, the stock performance for Verizon. Well, I mean, I think what I would what I would say is I think Q4 is really really going to be a make or break quarter for Verizon, right? In the sense that over a hundred percent of their net ads tend to come in Q4, and so you could almost kind of forget that anything has happened up until this point. Q4 is kind of when the rubber hits the road for their business, right? In terms of you know, gaining new subscribers. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess on that though, I mean, does how much time do we give? I mean, in Q4 again, we're you know a couple of weeks into it already. New person coming in. I mean, do you give do you give her you know a pass on this Q4 because it is new for her, or do you or, or is the pressure on her immediately? Uh, both. Okay. Right, because she came in as president and COO of the consumer group in June. Yeah. So they basically showed her around where's the bathroom and here's the cafeteria and here are the people who are working with you and so she got like a warm warm entry but at the same time she has been ceo for six months right and all of them are on the line and it doesn't matter which which carrier it is we've seen elliot pushing at&t really hard and it's only a question of time until they will will come out or somebody else like that will come out and and exert pressure you know we, we i know that the, that big verizon and shareholders have pushed for changes well in AT&T's case they're they're cutting off not people but parts of the company right i mean they're they're kind of divesting other assets that are not related to the core telecom business as opposed to leadership changes right and so for one thing, you know, if we look at AT&T, for one thing I'm waiting for is the collapse of the, the corporate structure, right? When AT&T bought DirecTV and, and Warner Media, they built another layer on, on top of it with every corporate staff function. And now the two out of the three legs that it needs to stand on are gone. So now you have a duplicate structure there in both Inc. and and in Corp, right? It's only a matter of time until that gets collapsed. And so th- that that will rearrange seats there. I don't know who, who will be. But right now, if you ignore the stock price, things are going really well at AT&T. You know? yeah. Yeah. For the first time in a really long time, they are kicking butt and taking names. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, maybe Don, you brought this up earlier, but, you know, that unreasonable expectations that these operators are operating under. I mean, obviously, stock price is a huge pressure on everyone, but these companies aren't built to be, you know, the hyperscalers, you know, the, these, these huge growth engines. I mean, they generate a ton of money, but they have this kind of legacy mindset that I think they're somewhat tied to that they're that they're trying. They've tried to shed for years and years and years and they're not dumb pipes and this and that. Um, and so, you know, they go after all this growth and it kind of goes back and forth. I mean, Sprint at one time was the big growth engine for, you know, back in the mid 2000s of, you know, growing everything. And we realized that they, they were doing it in a very financially unsustainable way. And, you know, these companies do this all the time. It's like they go in these cycles and it's just, you know, they, they're, trying to, they're trying to catch themselves. Right now, it's re, re, retrenchment, right, in, into the core segment. Yeah. And when you look at it, all of them are looking at the small rural telcos as the rabbits they want to eat, right? Mm-hmm. And in comes from a left $65 billion of stimulus funding to build out rural America, right? So we'll see how that will work out. 
right? When when these small rural telcos are about to be drowning in cash to build out fiber against fixed wireless. You know, no matter what the wireless guys say, every time you have fiber, it beats wireless. It's just really expensive to deploy it. So it would be funny how how the the ambitions of predominantly T-Mobile and Verizon to kill the rural telcos will plays out. I always describe them as like you know tricycles against against steamrollers. If you're not fast enough, they roll over you and don't even realize it, right? Well, speaking of that, though, I mean, I know that there is kind of a asymmetry, an asymmetry in terms of size with respect to the rural ISPs and that sort of thing. But I also think there's a fair amount of asymmetry in terms of, you know, what's happening on the software-defined side of things, right? So the carriers are all getting into bed with the hyperscalers, virtualizing their networks, things of that nature. Dan, I'd, I'd be curious to get your thoughts in terms of, I know that there's a lot of kind of talk about, you know, back-end deals in terms of, you know, some of the cloud companies, but nobody seems to be willing to talk about the terms in terms of who gets what split. I'd love to hear your thought in terms of kind of hyperscalers versus the carriers in that regard. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, obviously the hyperscalers have such a different cost structure in place and they don't have all that legacy employee base and and technology that they're having to uh, fight against on a constant basis. So they're definitely much more forward-looking and They've invested, you know, I mean, Roger, I've talked about this in the past where, you know, the cloud game is a, is a you know, lowest common denominator game. You go for, for the lowest price point and, and these hyperscalers have just been investing in that, you know, from the get go. And they just, their cost structure is just so much different. And, you know, for these, for these telecom operators, if they want to, you know, glean that kind of efficiency, they've shown they, they really can't do it on their own. I mean, they've all dabbled in it here and there. And, and AT&T was big in driving a lot of this stuff back in you know 2012 and all through about 2020. But yeah, they've come to a point where they realize that they just don't know how to operate those kind of systems as, as efficiently as those hyperscales do. So it's it's all about these partnerships now for them, at least on that side of the business and getting that sort of efficiency that they can out of those operations. So it's a big change. Yeah, and you know we think that Microsoft is probably going to give money to AT&T rather than the other way around. Whereas if you're an AWS, you say, pay me, pay me now or pay me soon, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I think Google's in an interesting position here because they are, you know, kind of the number three of the big hyperscalers, at least domestically. And they've been striving for much for a bigger share of the market. And they've been doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes, but their telecom operations have not quite succeeded. And I think they're probably primed for someone, again, almost like a Microsoft deal, where they could definitely pay somebody to uh, be a big part of their operation. So, because nobody trusts Google <laughs> to have the attention span yeah. to serve a mission critical operation for the foreseeable future. Oh, yeah. Whereas with AW, with Amazon, AWS, and with Microsoft, you know they make a commitment, they will do it. Google has the attention span of a Mm four-year-old and they zoom in and out of the stuff and if you try if you're a business and you trust google with whatever you do well you're in for a wild ride good luck and the carriers are traditionally risk averse because they have to deliver this stuff right and so that's why why nobody plays with google yeah yeah, no, the regulatory challenges that operators, uh, telecom operators operate under, I think most in the hyperscale market have no idea. I mean, again, the, you know, if a 911 call does not go through, that's a serious issue. And yeah, you can't trust, you can't trust that to anybody. 
Yeah, lives are at stake, literally. Yes. yes. You know, somebody will die. Yeah. It's different than a Facebook post not getting through or something like that. You know, when a 911 call is not going through, it's a totally different thing. Yeah. No, absolutely. So I think the pressure will continue to be on because all of the carriers, their traditional roles are being challenged and overhauled. Verizon, that forever and a day has been the best network provider, still lives off that halo. Mm-hmm. But in urban areas, at least, there's network parity, more or less. You know, we have T-Mobile that traditionally got rewarded for the fastest growth, is no longer the fastest growth, at least in subscribers. But now they want to do this in financials, where T-Mobile and uh, Verizon and AT&T were typically rewarded for financial performance. So now T-Mobile wants to be rewarded for financial performance and not subscriber ads, whereas with AT&T, it's exactly the opposite, right? They want to be rewarded for growth rather than necessarily the financial performance. And so they all have this identity conflict, especially with Wall Street, which is incredibly inflexible there. And they're like, well, but you used to be like that. Why can't you be like that? (laughs) Right? And no, we don't believe your, your your story. No, it's interesting. Yeah, it's like all those companies are going through different maturity phases at the time. I mean, obviously, like you said, Roger, T-Mobile is now kind of become that, you know, they're trying, they have to become an adult now. And that's different responsibilities. And, you know, they have a lot of debt they took on from the Sprint deal. So they have to show that they can pay that off and be fiscally responsible. And they have to buy back shares to make Deutsche Telekom their majority shareholder. Yeah. Right. That's that comes on top of it. That's more important than keeping pace with AT&T and Verizon on CapEx. Right. Oh, we don't need that much CapEx. We have one 5G anyway. And meanwhile, you know, highly paid executives get chopped. So maturity is a good segue to a player we haven't talked about a lot on this podcast yet this quarter. So Dish is a nascent player in wireless. They just reported this last quarter, they're still hemorrhaging some subscribers. So they lost about 122,000 net ads, and their churn is still quite high at 4.64%. But a lot of what they talk about in terms of kind of their prospects for success in wireless beyond kind of building out the network is the kind of the software defined aspect of what they're doing. Roger, I'd love to hear your perspective on kind of dish numbers and, and what are some of the inflection points we're going to see coming up here for them. Well, the ship is sinking more slowly, right? You know, when you look at the the, the current subscriber base, you know, as we predicted, they're not going to launch in fourth quarter. And, you know, that's challenging. Meanwhile, the big hope, AWS is making deals with everybody else. It's going to be challenging, right? Consumers are moving a lot more quickly and have a lot more tolerance for a poor network, which T-Mobile basically exploited for the last six, seven, eight years, right? Whereas businesses want to have, you know, a a stellar network. And, you know, ask T-Mobile how well business is going, and they repeat you back the same market share number that they told you a year ago, right? Business goes glacially slow, right up to a tipping point and then goes everything quick 
the thing is, we're not at the tipping point. They want they, they want somebody else to be the penguin who jumps into the Arctic Sea and tests the water and sees if there's some predator in there that, that will eat them with one bite. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, I think the issue, you know, one of the issues I see is that, you know, there's no more prepaid MNOs anymore, right? There haven't been since Metro and Cricket got gobbled up. And it used to be that I think there was more tolerance for not as good network experience if you were on prepaid. But now you can you can be on a premier MNO network on prepaid with any of the carriers, right? So... In all fairness, with Dish, you will be riding either on T-Mobile's or AT&T's network. Well, that's fair. That's fair. Right. Up until when they turn it on, right? Which they have. And afterwards, only in only in Las Vegas, you will be riding on on the Dish network. And even there, they have in-market roaming. So, if you're in a place where that network doesn't reach, AT&T or T-Mobile will pick you up. Well, as of right now, it's T-Mobile, right? Because we know they from the call, they said that they hadn't turned on roaming with AT&T yet. They've got that agreement, but they haven't done any sort of provisioning in the, in the network to make that possible, right? And, Which is surprising, too. Yes. And we also know that you know T-Mobile more or less wants to strangle them in the bathtub, right? So... <laughs> Wow, it's graphic. I mean, I mean, dish dish being slow to do anything, you shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. I mean, this is they've been talking about being a wireless provider for, I mean, forever now, and it's, you know, they're they're in no hurry to do anything. It's like it's it's almost like I think Charlie is is surprised it's gone. He's somehow still this is still happening. I'm sure he wanted to sell off that spectrum years ago and just be done with all of this, but he keeps stumbling into opportunities that he has to kind of keep playing this game, it seems like. It's, it's you know, I, I can't imagine Dish has any realistic expectations to be a significant number four player 10 years from now. It seems foolish. Well, that's what the fanboys are saying on, on, on Twitter, right? Now, he has no choice but to build out, right? But he can build out with boomer sites, which are really tall sites, which give you coverage, but not capacity, and rely on the capacity with his free out-of-jail card from AT&T. Oh, yeah. Las Vegas is the key. It's always been the market that everybody launches in first. I mean, Next Wave did it. Aloha did it. I mean, they've all done this, where they put up one tower on top of the Rio Hotel, and you know, they get their coverage there, and that's how they say they, they started, and they kind of slow roll their requirements with the FCC until someone comes in and buys their licenses and takes it over. It's Yeah, but right now, I don't think the, the problems with rollout are from a lack of trying. They're literally at the bleeding edge of, of development, and that means you're bleeding, Right. Yes. They are going through all the teething issues there are. Yes, they have forty-one or forty-three regional offices where they built, and you know they've ordered and they have billions of dollars of equipment that needs to get all into the ground. But that is, I think, the the, the easier part. the The whole software defined everywhere. Right? Yes, everywhere. Everywhere. It is a challenge, especially when you go out more into rural. These AWS outposts that they will need with if you do open RAN and, and everything. You you can't have these these data centers too far away from you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm guessing Dish does not want to be the one who has to be, like you said, the first one jumping into the water on this stuff. But unfortunately well, they they've put themselves in that position where that's they kind of have to be. And it, it's a big cost involved, right? I mean, and, and they're gonna run into all the challenges 
that is correct. Now we see there's blood in the water, right? Yeah. Oops. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I mean, yeah. the water wasn't too deep. We don't know that. You know. Okay. Yeah. Which is potential here is again. I, I just think they've been stumbling along this this route for so long. It's just it's like the next wave days all over again, and just at some point they're gonna find a way to get rid of it all. And I think they will eventually figure it out. The question is like. When is eventually, and how much grubbling do they have to do with the FCC to have potentially their build-out requirement delayed again because of, this time, supply chain issues, right? Right. Well, I mean, let, let's say they actually build out the network and it works, right? Then they have to go out and spend money to get customers, too. And we know that that's a expensive endeavor as well, right? Like. The network doesn't build itself, but the customers don't come over on their own either, right? You have to entice them. And, you know, when we look at the incentives that we've seen just in this quarter alone, in terms of bounties the carriers are, are paying to, to bring folks over, it's an expensive game to play. Right? And Charlie doesn't even want to give his own customers who are on 3G <laughs> a phone, right? Yeah. Right. You know, even it's difficult, right? And And so we will see what will budge. And then... How do you differentiate as as dish? You know, will be ten dollars unlimited voice data text uh, be enough? Guess that's how you make up for margins. You just make up for it in uh, in quantity. In quantity, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I, I look at Rakuten as the, the as the the role model, and what they've done is. You know, I think first gig unlimited voice and text is free, and then they charge you, mm-hmm. and that's the problem. Not there's not that much charging going on, and therefore Rakuten is becoming a a, a vendor, right? They're now a vendor to Dish. Yeah, that's a smart pivot by them. I mean, again, they realize, hey, we we've, we've, we've made some advances here, but let's let's start selling what we've done, and and not worry, try, not try to be this operator out there. Let's try to sell our platform. For Rakuten, or wow, yeah. good luck. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's, it's yeah, <laughs> I it's I don't envy them, that's for sure. But you know, if there's one business that is harder than being a, a carrier, it's being a vendor to a carrier, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the hurdles are high, the incumbents are there, right? And Dish is not an RCP, right? Yeah. Rakuten Communications Platform vendor, but it's a hodgepodge of other p- things that have not been working together in other places yet. Yeah. To me, the smallest man ever in wireless was Tim Donahue. He was he was the guy who figured it out that this was a bad place to be, and he sold high. Well, that's a story for another day. Yes. Dan, thank you so much for being on the pod. No problem at all. Appreciate it. Yeah, Dad. And I'm glad you're everywhere. 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 That's right. right. All right, Roger. We'll catch you next week. Thanks. Bye. Thanks.